Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 131, the March 1980 issue on sale December 18th, 1979. We're still skirting the edge of 1979 and 1980. Nice. And uh, this one's titled... Run for your life. You better run for your life if you can, little girl. Hide your head in the sand, little girl. Catch you with another man. That's the end, little girl. And on the cover of this one, we've got a lot of stuff happening. It's like the cover really can't decide what it wants to be. It's either some X-Men trapped in a cage, as are Storm, Colossus, and Wolverine, or it's an escape scene with Nightcrawler and Kitty Pride. Or it's an attack scene with Colossus and Cyclops, which is confusing because Colossus is trapped in a cage. Or it's just a uh, large uh, uh, pinup of the White Queen. I like it. Yeah, you do? I do. It's too busy for me. This is uh, this is this is one of the best covers in a while. I think so. This, so this is a Burn Austin cover, which is uh, interesting because I think last time was John Romita Jr. and then prior to that it was all. Um, Old What's-His-Face. Cockrum? Yes, Dave Cockrum. <laughs> Old What's-His-Face. I think this would have been a lot cooler if it was just a nicely detailed drawing of the White Queen. Maybe, but, uh, you know, well, that's there, so. Although I do like how uh, the shadow that her cape is creating is also creating the night that Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler are running through. That, that's kind of a nice touch, I suppose. I like it. I like, it's like a, it's like a collage. It's, it is definitely like a collage, yep. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the cover. It also says Prisoners of the White Queen. So this is a White Queen episode, everybody. Well, sort of. <laughs> yep, uh, so we turn this thing uh, open. We open this thing up, and we see that it's a Claremont Byrne Austin production with aiding and abetting by Tom Orzachowski on the letters, Glynis Ween on the colors, and Roger Stern editing, and Jim Shooter, the editor-in-chief. Editor-in-chiefing. Yes. We get a brief rundown of who the characters are with a bunch of head pinups, but in the middle of all of those pinups, we see Kitty Pride running away from a car down an alleyway. She uh, Last we saw her, she was in the Hellfire Club, or I guess a laboratory of the Hellfire Club, not the actual Hellfire Club, because I guess that's in... Chicago or New York? No, she's in Chicago. Yeah. The Hellfire Club is in New York. Correct. So she was in a lab in Chicago, and I guess she managed to escape that lab after she found a phone in the lab. Yeah. So she's been running for a long time, the dialogue box says, and every time she thinks that she has lost the her pursuers, uh, they have found her again. So she's getting pretty tired. Uh, it looks like she's she... discovered reservoirs of strength within herself she never knew existed. She's tapped them all. She's only fifth, or she's only thirteen and a half. So there's no way she can keep up this pace forever. And that's when she falls and trips and hurts her arm. Ow, my arm! Luckily, she phases through the earth and ends up in China. <laughs> she doesn't do any phasing. Actually, she just falls to the ground. Uh. The Hellfire Club, these aren't knights, though. These are just like Hellfire goons, I think, right? These are minions. Minions? 
Goons? Minions. Are they actually referred to as minions? No, but that's what we called them last episode. Okay. (laughs) So the Hellfire Minions, they're they're wearing like, they kind of look, they kind of remind me of uh, Sentinels, like mini Sentinels is what they look like. But they're wearing outfits that cover their face and cover their bodies and stuff. But yet they're just driving around in plain sedans. You know, it's very un-Marvel universe to me. You'd think that they would have like the the Hellfire mobile. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, yeah, they're just driving around in a black four-door sedan, uh, chasing after Kitty Pryde. She falls, and then Phoenix comes out of nowhere and outspreads her arms, and the car rams into her and is destroyed. Did you read that story, The Court of the Owls, the Batman story? Um, No. No. Okay. They kind of remind me of those guys. Oh, okay. Or, or rather, those guys remind me of these guys. Okay. Which guys came first? These guys. Okay. Stupid Batman and his stupid ripoffness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Phoenix is not happy about the prospect of being run down, which is why she showed off and destroyed the car. She smashes the crap out of it. Mm-hmm. Kitty's laying on the ground. She's just like, oh, the woman just waved her arms in the car. Hit it like a brick wall. What am I going to do now? So she's kind of afraid of Phoenix, it looks like. Well, yeah, wouldn't you be? Oh, totally. <laughs> and uh, that's when Nightcrawler teleports in. Yay! Says Kitty. Well, yeah. And then she, or he says... Guten Abend. He actually says... Fraulein. Fraulein Pride. But we already know what Fraulein means, don't we? That means girl or something. Yeah, or something. Guten Abend means... Good evening. There you go, everybody. Your first German lesson for this evening. Oh, there will be so many more. (laughs) Well, just one more. One more that that has led to heated debate. Uh, Nightcrawler grabs Kitty, and instead of teleporting her away, which I guess, you know, good on him, because at this point we know that his power would probably knock her out or at least make her nauseous. So he bounds up the the wall in Spider-Man style. Don't be frightened by my teleporting, Liebchen. I'm one of the good guys. We spoke on the phone. Let's be office, shall we? So, this is the word. Leibchen. Leibchen. And uh, apparently, according to Google, it means... Camisole. <laughs> which is just kind of a funny thing. And a camisole is a uh, short undergarment for women. But Adam and I dug a little bit further, and we don't think it, that's actually what it means. We got a couple of different ideas for what it might mean, but the gist of it is uh, Leibe is German for either dear or love, and Chin is kind of a surname for something that is small. So the the theme is little love or little dear. Yeah. If you go to wiktionary.com and look it up, it, it, it qualifies it as dear or sweetheart, which, okay, kind of makes sense, I suppose. Must be that must be uh, kind of like German slang, sort of. I'm sure one of these days, uh, Nightcrawler is going to say "Liebchen, sweetheart." <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm surprised it's not know exactly what it is. Yeah, I'm surprised it's not here actually. So uh, they've taken off. Um, Phoenix Up is to the roof. Yeah, Phoenix is standing there over the two guys in the destroyed car. I trust you'll be thinking twice about hounding mutants in the future. Cyclops and Dazzler come running up. Phoenix, are you all right? Never felt better, Cyclops. I feel like she talks that way in her Phoenix. Uh, <laughs> She's kind of drunk. Yeah, just emotionless and, yeah, kind of drunk with power. 
What have you done? I told you to stop that car, not turn it into instant junk. And she talks about the girl's stark terror and the thoughts of the killers chasing her. She's a telepath, and she did. Whatever that means. I'm a telepath. I did. Yeah, you didn't feel that that terror. I did. Ah, got it. These animals got no more than they deserved. I thought I'd seen Jean in every conceivable mood, but this is new. Cyclops, get up here fast. It's Nightcrawler. Jean, give us a lift. And she does. She brings them up to the roof where Nightcrawler has lost Kitty Pride. She dove through the roof. She broke away from me when we landed. Oh, I'm sorry. I think it's kind of funny here. Uh, it looks to me on this last panel that Jean is carrying at least Dazzler by her head. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it looks like she's got Cyclops' entire body, but it kind of looks like she's carrying Dazzler by her hair and head. Oh, both Jean and Dazzler have a lot of hair. Yeah, yes, they do. You would think that that would get in the way during a battle, but... Yeah, it's a lot of hair. <laughs> Especially, I mean, I guess it changes from panel to panel, but man. Cyclops uses his deductive reasoning to say that uh, she's definitely the neo-mutant Professor Xavier and the other X-Men came to Chicago to find. Uh, no, wait. Were Cyclops and Jean in New York and now they're in Chicago? Yes. How did they do that? Well, we don't know what how long Kitty's been running. <laughs> what? I mean, all right. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe there was some point where she was able to stop and rest for like an hour. Yeah. Or two. No, wait, I think they, the Hellfire Club, wait a minute, but I'm so confused because Gene and Cyclops weren't, were they captured? They weren't captured. No, they weren't captured. How the hell did they get to Chicago? Okay. They drove in Chaz 1. <laughs> yeah, really, really fast. That's like a nine hour drive, isn't it? Phoenix stopped time. Oh. Didn't tell anybody. Okay. Okay, well, I'll buy that. <laughs> and she erased everybody's minds so that they wouldn't ask. All right. Uh, so uh, Jean turns her, her outfit into kind of her normal day-to-day -day outfit and goes down into the warehouse to try and find Kitty. Well, Cyclops says, you're the most normal-looking one of us. You'll have to handle the initial contact, which is funny because, like, Dazzler's kind of normal-looking except for her eye makeup. But... Yeah. That's actually, if I were her. that's actually pretty interesting. I always thought that, that blue thing that was on Dazzler's face was a domino mask, but it, oh. it's, as we, well, as we learn later, it is not. Hmm. But maybe, did you not draw that conclusion? You always thought it was makeup? Or... I Yeah, I did, uh, only because it very much fits into the style of the whole... I, I assumed it was like a old David Bowie homage. Oh, totally. And now that you say that, and now that I realize that it's makeup, the, your David Bowie references that you made an episode or two ago totally make more sense. <laughs> like, what do you mean she's like David Bowie? I don't get it. <laughs> but it's the makeup. I got it. All right, so she does find Kitty and says, hey, I'm your friend. I'm an X-Man. Want to go with us? Kitty says yes. You're an X-Man? Oh, goody. <laughs> cool. So they head out to, Cent no, not Central Park. They're in Chicago. They, uh -huh. head they got here in a mutant skyship. Yeah, and I was trying to figure out, I think that this mutant skyship is a Hellfire Club hovercraft. Or is this the X-Men's mutant skyship? It's the X-Men's mutant skyship. When did the X-Men get a mutant skyship? 
in between issues. <laughs> don't worry, there will be a classic X Men detailing how they got in, in Skyship. I don't think so, Adam. I've looked ahead. <laughs> I don't think there's a story that deals with them. Are you sure this is not the Hellfire Clubs? Uh, if it is, they stole it. Yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense. Although they didn't do that in panel, so I mean, I, I, no, I think this is an X, another X uh, jet. It's a mutant skyship. Somebody dropped the ball, Mr. Claremont, and we're looking at you. I would, I believe Mr. Byrne. Although Claremont he just wrote the words. That's true. He could have drawn it in and been like, well, now how did they get here? I don't know. Mutant skyship. <laughs> Apparently mutant skyships go really fast, too. No. That explains how they got there. Okay, then. Well, see, the only reason I kind of got confused about it is when we are on the mutant skyship, we see these X-Men, and we also see a couple of... Um, Hellfire Club goons. But these two Hellfire Club goons could be the ones from the car. Right. They are the ones from the car. So, the uh, theory busted. Yeah. Most of these are only worse than they really are, but some of these cuts are pretty deep. Sing out if I hurt you, kitty. Okay. Is, uh, examining Kitty's cuts and bruises on her legs. Kitty retells the story that we basically saw last week about them going to the malt shop and being tagged or, or taken. Uh, Nightcrawler sits on a control panel and thinks to himself, I do not think little Fraulein likes me. Oh, I didn't even read that. I, said, I missed that as I was reading this the first time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's when we hear some more backstory. Aurora gave me the phone number and I've been running ever since. And Cyclops says, we were attacked too in New York, but I'm not going to tell you how we got from New York to Chicago. Well, for all we know, they're all in New York, <laughs> which would make no sense at all, but whatever. Mind scan our prisoners, Gene, and find out who we're up against. As good as done. <laughs> so she does, and she discovers Emma Frost and the Hellfire Club. And is that Jason Wingard? She does think she sees Jason Wingard in there. She talks a little bit about, uh, this gets a little weird. Uh, I found myself living the life of an ancestor who was married to a member of that club, a man named Jason Wingard. But recently I've met a modern day Jason Wingard who's a dead ringer for my ancestor's husband. What does it all mean? Is it a coincidence or... Are you okay, Jean? Uh, I'm okay. I have the information you need. So now I even get confused as the reader. Like, is Jason Wingard creating that history? He must be, right? Well, yeah, we know that Jason Wingard's creating the history. Just Gene doesn't know whether it's real or whether it's, it is a history. or She sure. doesn't know what to make of it. I guess my question's more along the lines, is Jason Wingard pulling from actual events to bend, fold, and manipulate reality? Oh, I don't think so yeah i don't think so either i think it's all uh made up stuff that he's just putting into her head yeah but you're probably right based on some sort of inner needs and desires that she has he's pulling out kind of fantasies for her so they um they they get back into the unmarked um sedan which spoilers i guess not not quite gene has reassembled it says it right here the vehicle is an unremarkable as any produced by detroit's automakers except that earlier phoenix reduced it to so much scrap metal so they're they're driving up to frost industry or enterprises rather oh and it looks like the tides have turned the hellfire minions are now driving the sedan with all of the x-men tied up in the back 
I wonder how this happened. Me too. Um, makes about as much sense as them getting from uh, New York to Chicago. I do want to point out that all of them, and maybe this is just Phoenix um, pers- uh, doing a mind thing here, but they're all gagged. Yes. And uh, the Hellfire Club minion is talking his way into Frost Enterprises. And the guy's like, all right, nothing weird here. Come on in. The rest of the X-Men captured, says Emma Frost. Most impressive, especially since Salvatore's team was not equipped to tangle with them. Everything looks normal, though. But I'll cut out the guards just in case if your friends are planning any nasty surprises, Storm. They'll find the Hellfire Club ready for them. I'm not going to use my mental powers to probe the car or anything. Well, she, you know, maybe it's too far or something. It's out of my range. (laughs) In the meantime, we'll continue your examination. So she's psychically interrogating Storm, potentially. I guess. Or torturing her. One of the two. She calls them psychic probes. Yeah, like she's looking for information. Kitty has snuck in. Kitty, by the way, was not in the car. It was just Dazzler, Cyclops, Phoenix, and Nightcrawler. She it appears to be some sort of diversion. The X-Men must have let themselves get captured so that Kitty could sneak in through the other side. If I was a betting man, that's where I'd put my money. And uh, so she beam, or she phases in. She notices that Storm is gone. Uh, and the initial plan was for her to rescue Storm, but if Storm wasn't there, then she was to go to the next available mutant, who in this case is Wolverine. Well, uh, yeah, she she says, If I couldn't free Storm, I'm supposed to try Wolverine next. And if Wolverine's not there, then I should just leave Colossus. <laughs> Apparently, Cyclops doesn't think much of him. <laughs> So she, I, if I wonder if I reach into the lock, maybe I can gimmick it. Yow! All I did was touch it and it popped open. What did I do? So just discovering a little bit more about Kitty's powers. Yeah, she uh, she she opens locks. <laughs> yes, she having ability. She does, and she helps. <clears throat> she helps Wolverine out. She notes to herself that even though Wolverine's not much taller than her, he weighs a lot. Criminy. Why is it so flaming hard to think? It's the cages. They make you dopey. <laughs> but we're outside now. You should be okay. Give me a minute, will you? What are you doing here? I'm rescuing you, dummy. <laughs> and uh, that's when she gets zapped by an energy beam that was emitted from one, of the, from one of the Hellfire minions. I like how the beam goes through the letter A. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. That is a nice touch. Kid. And that's the Hellfire guy is like, okay, Mutie, you get back in your cage unless you want some. Looks like Kitty Pride is dead. It does. It does look like she's dead. And did they quick give her a costume? I guess this is her dance clothes, right? Uh, it looks like she's wearing a Fantastic Four outfit. It does. It looks like a Fantastic Four uniform without the four on the chest. Right. But... But yeah, I guess it's just her. Her. Yeah, I don't know what the, what it is. Maybe the X Men in their mutant sky flyer or whatever had a quick uh, extra little costume for her. They have a costume maker device. <laughs> Wolverine Snickets and sucker, you just made the biggest mistake of your life, and the last. And he kills them. And while razor sharp adamantium claws spring from Wolverine's hands. At the front of the administration building, dot, dot, dot. It's a weird transition, but whatever. 
the sedan pulls up to the front gates of the administration building and uh, the Hellfire goons look inside and talk to the other Hellfire goons. And this is when we see in the back that the X-Men actually are not tied up or gagged. Uh, the whole thing is inside. Like, Gina's, Gina's created created the whole thing mm-hmm. with her mind. Looks like we've reached the end of the line, Gene. Gene's in telepathic uh, uh, contact with um, Nightcrawler and Dazzler. So everything's ready to go. The fireworks are about to start. Suddenly, Cyclops looks up, open his quartz visor wide, and an awesome, irresistible beam of pure force blasts from his eyes. Those optic blasts are both Scott Summers' mutant power and his private curse. For they cannot be controlled save by his visor or special ruby quartz glasses. His eyes. Did not make an appearance in this episode. His deadly eyes. His I ru- imagine that Cyclops is screaming, my deadly eyes. We'll see his ruby quartz glasses in this issue. Don't you worry. We do? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Uh, he, uh, still, they're very useful in a fight. And he blasts off the ceiling of the car. And that's when Dazzler jumps out, and she does a light show that's kind of hypnotic to everybody. And I do want to point out this image here of Dazzler is not your traditional skinny girl. I mean, she's not fat by any means, but she's thicker than most Marvel women. Yeah, I mean, she's that's how she's been since her first appearance on the cover. Which is fine, which is good. It's a nice uh, change of pace. And if they were trying to model her after Bo Derek, was Bo Derek thicker? Because I think she was. I, again, I don't know. Okay. And when I say thicker, I just mean not toothpick waif-like. Right. Because she's still got a very attractive body. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So the X-Men spring to action. Nightcrawler. Is he teleporting into that building? Yes. Because that kind of looks like a cutaway. And my question is, if if he's not supposed to be able to teleport where he can't see. Well, the doors are made out of glass. Aha. So he teleports in. Uh... This, I think, is the first appearance of Dazzler's roller skates in the first panel. Yeah, I guess so. Because <laughs> <laughs> last issue, I was wondering, well, I wonder when the da- or when the roller skates come into play. But here they, they describe are. another. Uh, they they describe her powers again, which kind of is useful since I don't still don't really understand what they are. She creates a light show so intense and beautiful that the guards' mind can't cope with it. In other words, they're dazzled. Yes, they are dazzled. <clears throat> so they, uh, they they run through the hallways of Frost Enterprises. Cyclops is blasting everything he sees. Dazzler is roller skating. <laughs> I can't get over how easily Jean reassembled that car with her TK powers and then manipulated the unconscious driver like he was no more than her puppet. Every word, every move came from her, and she pulled it off without a hitch, without strain. I should be proud of her. Instead, instead I'm frightened. Ooh, so a little... Little scariness starting to brew. Uh, the alarms go off, and uh, Emma Frost is a little bit worried, and she decides that after sending her uh, Hellfire minion to go combat the X Men, she's going to wipe uh, Storm's mind and make her a uh, mindless thing, human only in physical form. That's when Phoenix's butt shows up. Is that so? My butt is here to stop you. This is not a very good drawing of a butt. No, it's terrible. <laughs> like they, like they, they, they shad, shade, the shading is all makes it look like it's all one. I don't know. It's very confusing. It's it's just 
the shading screws it up. Well, and the curve there. So the hip is nice. The hip is good. But where they're trying to uh, uh, detail the butt cheek, it's way too far to the left. Yeah. And then the shading just means, uh, yeah, the shading is, it's, it's kind of a disaster. Once you get below the yellow belt. They should just have chopped off the corner. I don't. I, I use my hand to chop off the corner. It looks like a fine panel. Maybe they could have just panned up instead of doing a butt shot. But, I mean, I guess yeah, that's true. we do know that Byrne is a butt man. He is. <laughs> uh, and that's when we get a full-on face of kind of a... Burn is a butt man. <laughs> Burn is a butt man. He'll tell you. Just ask him. <laughs> uh, Mr. Burn, can I get an autograph? And do you like butts? Oh, yes. I'm a butt man. Yes and uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we get a kind of our, I think, our first glimpse in real life of an evil-looking phoenix. Or scary-looking phoenix, anyways. Phoenix, one and only, and you're in the Frost Hellfire Club's White Queen. I understand you call yourself something of a telepath. Well, your majesty, let's see how good you really are. Yeah. Her eyes are all sunken in and black shadows surround them. Uh, her hair is creating like a shadow effect around her face. She She is in her phoenix costume but she's basically one step removed from what we will know as dark phoenix or so it would seem meanwhile uh the hellfire minions are shooting at dazzler and cyclops and that's when nightcrawler in a move that he's been aching to try again appears behind all three of them one by one bamf 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 although i kind of like how they they spread the letters out in between all of the different BAMPs. So it's B, and then there's a flash of Nightcrawler, and A, and a flash of Nightcrawler, M, and a flash of Nightcrawler, and F. It's like a big old BAMP, and he knocks all three of them out. With a walk, bock, and a sock. I, oh, I, yeah. I can deck all of these men before they even hit the ground. I like it. It's uh, and, and it says last used in X-Men number 111. So this actually makes me think that Dazzler has, pro- or I mean, not Dazzler, Nightcrawler's probably been uh, completely ineffective since issue 111. Uh, but <laughs> I like this. I like this panel. I like him utilizing this multi-teleportation uh, with his punching. I do too. So it's good. Ooh, oh, I kept forgetting how the hard that is on my knuckles. He could save that by wearing some brass knuckles. <laughs> we should outfit me with some boxing gloves. <laughs> you fine, Nightcrawler. Hey, look who's here, Wolverine, Colossus, and Kitty. You're carrying her, Peter. Is she hurt? Oh, Lord. If anything's happened to the kid. She's okay, boss, says Wolverine. <laughs> well, Kitty was a lacing Wolverine. Two guy. Oh, that's Nightcrawler. <laughs> I was going to um, say. Uh... Well, Kitty was releasing Wolverine. Two guards slipped into the holding pin behind her. They shot her with a high-energy stone bolt. What happened to the guards? Wolverine uh, dealt with them. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I'm fine, honest, just a little bit stiff. Uh, And so am I. Duh, ha, 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 ha. Stiff. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when Hellfire Minion pulls out a gun and says enjoy it while it lasts chicky in a couple of seconds you and your buddies won't be feeling anything at all clatch and he fires at them but colossus meddles up and uh, is able to deflect all of the bullets or whatever it is that the thing shoots 
and, and almost punches him in the face. Jeez, it's a and it's a punch. It's not like a little light tap. It's like this guy has no face anymore. Type punch. Yeah, this guy's dead. <laughs> His skull is collapsed in, and in the next panel, like Colossus is smiling about it. But he's thinking to himself, "I am ashamed. I lost my temper. I know I am different, but the way that that man called me freak, eh? Why is Kitty staring at me?" Ooh. Wow, Peter, you saved us all. That was neat. It was. So uh, this is 1979, 1980. So I'm thinking that neat is the young way of saying cool. I think it's it's the young way of saying wizard. <laughs> oh, that that is wizard. <laughs> I used that correctly, didn't I? Cool? No, wizard. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um. We still have to find Storm and Professor X. And this is the biggest letdown, not letdown, I don't know, the biggest uh, uh, lazy part of this episode or issue is where Wolverine says, the prof split on his own. Wouldn't let me or Petey go with him. He told us to get Aurora. I've been following her scent. How did he split on his own? <laughs> he was strapped on his back to a machine. No wheelchair in sight. Well, his wheelchair was, you know, it just wasn't in sight. It was nearby. Is he, like, crawling to the mutant sky plane or whatever? As we'll see, it makes an appearance. <laughs> I know, but still, it, that doesn't make any sense. Like It was in a Hellfire closet. <laughs> or maybe he found a Hellfire wheelchair for him to wheel out on. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's a handicapped accessible <laughs> uh, Hellfire zone. <laughs> we may be evil and we may be in an exclusive club, but we still are bound by the <laughs> handicap laws. Exactly. All right, so they uh, Cyclops tells Wolverine to lead on so they can get to Storm. Let's move it before the White Queen's private army regroups. I got a telepathic flash from Jean that she was going after Storm. I hope she hasn't run into trouble. Trouble? Not quite, says the narration. There's a psychic battle happening here. Whoa. White Queen is shooting green telepathic power at Jean and... Gene is turning into the big Phoenix effect bird. Apparently they first seemed like they were evenly matched, but Phoenix was just testing the White Queen. And now that she's figured her out, she's just going to dominate her. The, and she does. The Phoenix effect is so beautiful, yet so terrible. Like Jean herself, I've seen her like this only once before, in the heart of the alien Makarn crystal, before she saved the universe from destruction. So Storm is noticeably um, bothered by this display of power. She's not herself. Gene, uh, that is. Right. Uh, her uh, being dominated completely, Emma Frost feels like her, her she has one chance. She must channel all remaining telepathic uh, power into a cybolt, which she does, which causes a massive explosion. It's like that building is where Roro's sense been leading us. I guess it holds up a whole building that they're headed to. Uh, Cyclops was hit by a flash of pain from Jean through the mind link. An instant before the explosion, she must have been there with Storm. Uh, the blast, though, it leveled the entire building. Well, Jean can't be dead. I'd feel it. I'm calling you, lady. Answer me. Jean! Jean! Jean does not answer verbally or telepathically, but she does burst out of the collapsed building with a giant phoenix effect. Unglaublich, says Nightcrawler. Good lord, says Cyclops. And there's Jean and Storm, who uh, 
they were both lucky, but the White Queen wasn't so lucky. So she's dead. So so we are led to believe, yes. Hmm. It'll take it'll take more than a collapsing building to do me in. But it was sweet of you to be so concerned. My guess is that I guess this is a that's a thought balloon. Oh yeah. My but guess it's got a like a little arrowy thing, so it's confusing. My guess is that only a suit of diamond armor could protect Emma Frost from an explosion such as this. But she doesn't have that power yet. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it could be an early secondary mutation that gets retconned somewhere along the line. I'm sure there will be a great flimsy explanation for how she survives. Probably. Well done, my X-Men. Oh, Professor X. <laughs> I knew I was right in holding back and playing Observer. Now let's be on our way before the authorities arrive. Yeah, this was his plan all along. I'll just crawl to my wheelchair and then observe, and I won't interfere. I've got to pee myself. <laughs> I've got to get out of here. Oh, thank God I was able to change my pants. Uh, so they do leave, and they head back to Kitty's neighborhood, where they're now dressed in plain clothes, I believe. And now they have a van. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, it's, a, it's a rent-it-all van. Yeah, yeah, it is. Drives away on the next page. Yeah, it looks like a VW bus. So they decided no longer do they need the uh, the mutant uh, Skyjet. <laughs> They're just going to leave that in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. It served its purpose. It moved the plot forward. The professor invites Dazzler to join the X-Men. Dazzler says that uh, saving the world is not her style. She prefers the excitement she gets on the stage, singing her heart out to an audience that really digs her. See you around, folks. Keep in touch. I'm the Dazzler. I'm the Dazzler. (laughs) So she drives off in the rent at all, and Cyclops worries. She knows everything about us now, Professor. And he, he said, well... I did approve of a mind scan of her, and uh, she can be trusted. Yeah, don't worry. If an evil mutant finds her and does a mind scan of her, it nothing to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> Kitty's parents come out to the house, and they're like, where have you been? We were worried yeah. sick. They're totally freaked out. The last they saw the professor, uh, the last they saw Kitty, she disappeared with those uh, strained mutants, and then I guess the professor left the house and... He disappeared, and then uh, they found out that the place where the malt shop where they went was burned down, and they they thought she was dead, and then they had identified the bodies of the malt shop, and it wasn't Kitty. I'd be pretty scared, too. Cyclops is like, uh-oh, Professor, looks like we got some splaining to do. <laughs> and the Professor attempts to do the splaining, but uh, Carmen Pry doesn't have any of it, and that's when Jean says to herself... Enough's enough. And that's when uh, Carmen Pride Change, uh, changes change his tune. tune. Yep. It's good I to... don't know what your game is, mister, but it's good to see you again. My wife and I were very impressed by you. Blah, blah, blah. In fact, we've decided that we want to send uh, Kitty off to your school for gifted youngsters. That's nice to hear, Mr. Pride says a visibly confused Professor X. Which is surprising. <laughs> you would think he would know what was going on, but uh, the professor seems as surprised as me. But if he didn't change Pride's mind, who? Gene, you didn't. Just doing what comes naturally. I know you don't approve of me or the professor using our psi powers like this, Scott, 
But Kitty's father wasn't about to listen to reason, so to spare everyone a lot of unnecessary grief, I modified his wife's memories a little in his, too. No harm done, and in the end, there's an end. What's going on with Jean's blouse? It is lacking in the clothing department. <laughs> it's like uh, heavy, heavy on the cleavage. Uh, but this is very early 80s, late 70s. Uh, I just got done watching um, American Hustle, which takes place around this. Oh, yeah, and there's I suppose a, it is exactly like that, isn't it? <laughs> there's a ton of those really low-cut blouses that go way below the boob line. And that's what Jean's wearing. Fair enough. The professor is still confused for some reason. I don't, I don't understand. Even though even Storm and Scott have figured it out. Scott, did Jean do what I think she did? She used her telepathic abilities against an innocent person's mind, something that used to be an anathema to her. I don't know what anathema means to you. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> okay. But I'm going to look it up. Do that, Adam. Aurora, you were in that lab when she fought the White Queen. What was it like? What was she like? And that's when Storm says she wasn't human. Uh, when she uses her powers as the phoenix, there's a ferocity about it and her and grandeur. She has changed so much. And Cyclops says, yet she hasn't changed at all. Then he says, ah, maybe we're imagining things. You don't believe that. You, We both sense a wrongness about her. And in the background, Jason Wingard is laughing hysterically as Storm says, There's a dark side to Phoenix that could consume her. It's almost as if something or someone was manipulating her, helping that wrongness to grow. If that is the case, we must find out who or what is doing this before it's too late. And then she says, Look at those clouds, Scott. They look just like Jason Wingard. They look like an Englishman laughing. Uh... The next issue is, and Hellfire is their name-o. And Hellfire is their name-o. Uh, so anathema is something that is detested or loathed. Yeah, okay, I kind of figured. So uh, using her telepathic abilities against an innocent person's mind is something she used to loathe. For good reason, too. True dat, yo. So um, we got a letter this week. Oh, that's right. We did, I forgot. From Kirk Cicada. And he uh, had a couple of responses regarding Havoc and Polaris. Uh, basically, we talked about how Polaris was holding Havoc's hand and it looked a little silly. He reminds us that Lorna doesn't necessarily fly so much as negate gravity, which allows her to essentially levitate. And because she can do that, she can extend the field around Alex. So really, her holding his hand probably wasn't necessary. But maybe it's because they liked either so uh, liked either so liked each other so much. He also goes on to say that in one of the letters pages, Claremont confessed that in this series he wanted to give each character a moment, but he was unable to do so with uh, Lorna, and he feels like he missed an obvious opportunity to have. Uh, Lorna play a part as Proteus was vulnerable to metal, and so whatever. He wanted that big moment to be for Colossus. But if you think about it, they really could have used Lorna to like hurl Colossus at Proteus, and that could have been both their moment and teamwork. Oh, right. But whatever. You know, like he says, uh, it's it's a, it's a point where the uh, the writer goes against logic and kind of tries to make his point instead. Um. 
Let's see. He also says that we mentioned a skeleton in one of the classic X-Men issues featuring Proteus. He believed that that was actually Proteus's original body. And I think I have to disagree because last classic X-Men, we saw that Lorna was keeping Proteus's body on ice with the idea that she could potentially resurrect it. So whatever skeleton we saw was probably not Proteus's body. He also, uh, he writes a lot, but he also says that there's probably no big reason to cover Dazzler. Uh, there were 44 issues, and maybe the first two were good, and maybe like the last four. He says that he collected the entire Dazzler series because it was something that he was able to do, well, from issue number one when he was collecting comic books. Uh, he also says that the miniseries with Beast in the 1980s called Beauty and the Beast is something that he cannot recommend either. <laughs> So, uh, we'll see. I'm I'm going to give it a go. Uh, maybe I get to that third issue and I say, Adam, this is terrible. I'm not reading anymore. And we just drop it. But uh, we, we're... Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I've read some pretty bad Avengers. <laughs> we're definitely not going to do like a cover-to-cover review unless, of course, there's some uh, crossover. And I, I don't think there are. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be any major crossovers. Yeah, and unless I can recall something that happens in that series that is, like, super important to future events, which I also don't think exists, uh, it'll be just a brief synopsis, just to keep everybody up uh, to speed on what's going on in the mutant universe. He also writes, and uh, you skipped over this one, but I thought it was interesting, um, that we mentioned that uh, Havoc says that he has withstood Colossus's or Colossus says he's withstood Havoc's power previously, mm-hmm. and he points out that it was it happened in X Men 100, but it was a X Sentinel version of Havoc, yeah, which I had forgotten about. That's that's interesting. Yeah, yep. I think that that's probably what they were referring to. It's got to be. So that's it. Uh, so if you'd like to join in on the fun, you may email us at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. You can go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. Check out what we got going on there. Post a comment, uh, whatever. You can follow us at danger room go. That's, of course, on the Twitters. Or you can visit our webpage, www.xmenpodcast.com. And over there, and over there, you can uh, subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment, and there's links to just about everything. Uh, you can also go out to iTunes. Go into the podcast section, type in Danger Room, we'll come right up. Uh, Leave a comment, leave a five-star review, whatever. Uh, Also subscribe with your iDevice there, and uh, it'll be wonderful, and good times will happen. Immediately, they'll just (laughs) pop into the air. Poof, good times. If you're looking for a pick-me-up, that's that's the way to do it. Go to one of those outlets, and uh, instantaneously, your life will be that much better. You, too, can get our eternal thanks as we are about to give Kirk. Thanks, Kirk, for yeah. writing a letter. A very and nice, long a, letter. A very, yeah, nice. we like the nice, long ones. So, uh, with that, I guess we will turn our attention to a craptacular classic X-Men tale. Oh, you didn't like this one? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't have... We'll talk about it. Uh, this is issue number 37 uh, the cover proudly, uh, still proudly proclaiming that it's the Dark Phoenix saga. And on the cover, you've got Jean, well, Phoenix, I should say, just attacking um, Emma. Emma is not having a good time here. But she is managing to stick her arm through Phoenix's nose. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and what should also be pointed out is that her undergarments are much more revealing than in the original story. <laughs> it seemed, these, yeah, it seemed very two very sexy poses we've got happening here. Yeah, I think this is a Steve Lytle cover, isn't it? This is. Yeah. This is the September 1989 issue, published in May 30th of 1989. This uh, the inside front cover. I don't know what's really going on here. The inside cover? Yeah. Oh, I have no idea. It's like a broken key. A bloody oh, broken well, key. We got Colossus, Wolverine, and Storm who were caged, and we have a cage. But why is the key broken, and why does it have blood on it? I don't know, but I do like the Wolverine, Storm, Colossus behind the cage. I think That that's... part makes sense. Yeah. I like that. I don't know what else, what else is going on or why it's going on. I just don't understand why the key is broken and bloody. Uh, Steve Lytle was like, what the heck else do I do with this inside cover? How about a key? <laughs> okay. How about I just don't put a key and then it becomes more interesting. I... The backup story is called Was Not What Will Be. It's written by Fabian Nisiaza. <laughs> Penciled by... Rick Leonardi as the penciler. Bob McCloud is inking, Joe Rosen is lettering, and uh, Mike Ruckwitz is coloring Rockwitz. good old mike rockwitz uh i don't i'm not a huge rick leonardi fan uh he he's like somebody who's been around since i've started collecting comics and i feel like he's gotten better as the years have gone by but i've never been a really big fan of his either i'll give you that because this is pretty rough uh and i'm guessing this is probably pretty early in his career maybe probably yeah uh i know he does fill in issues uh, for Uncanny X-Men much later on, probably at the same time that this classic X-Men is actually running. And I always remember being like, what's wrong with this particular issue? Everybody's so big or not as defined as they normally are. And this was in an era where I didn't really look at the credits. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, like, I literally thought that Stanley did everything, right? Because it was all Stanley presents this and that. And I was like, oh, Stanley's <laughs> writing another comic book. Uh, but yes, I was, I wasn't very smart. Um, Adam, I don't know about this issue. It's like 17 pages long, and it's not – It's I get what they're trying to do. It's it's like the coffee and cigarettes of the Marvel Universe. Well, that's exactly what it is. And, and that, to me, whether or not – I mean, it succeeds or not, it's, it's, it's an attempt at something that is interesting. It was an attempt at something that could have been interesting. I just – I didn't know who the characters were. It doesn't matter. See, that's the thing. I almost feel like this would make a really cool short film where you don't even know, you don't need to know who any of the characters are. It's just a bunch of people who get together, meet up, and shoot the shit for several hours every Friday night. And that's all it is. That's all the story is. Yeah, it's basically Dazzler meets up with a group of friends and they, they talk about all sorts of things in the world and it's after a show, a gig that she does and she decides that she is never going to be a superhero because uh, she doesn't really feel like that's where her destiny lies. Some things to point out. We get this awesome roller skate montage. It looks like she keeps her skates in her purse for quick... Uh, access and she can snap them onto her shoes apparently she skeeches all uh back to the future style on a couple of cars and a van 
I what I didn't I didn't like the beginning where she's like, oh man, I shouldn't have let the drum solo go on for ten minutes. Now I'm gonna be late. But she never had a plan to get all the way across town on her roller skates. So obviously she's gonna be late. She's like hitching rides on the back of cars. I think this is what if there were no cars available? <laughs> and she's really late. This is Manhattan. I think there's always cars available. Yeah, it's just silly. Uh, I think her plan always was to hitch rides with her roller skates. Uh, How long is that going to take? There's no way of knowing. See, the thing I have with this story is, like, it takes so long for things to happen. You got two pages of the concert. You got one, two, three, four pictures of the the ride across town. Uh, Well, see, I disagree with you there, Jeremy. I don't think anything happens at all in the entire story, and that's what I like about it. True. Uh, you do get a nice uh, picture of the what is the the Brooklyn Bridge uh, in front of the Twin Towers. So that's that could be kind of an iconic panel. She uh, somehow convinces some kids not to drink and drive. Yeah, and she dazzles so, them. She dazzles them, which somehow makes them go, "Whoa! Throw our beers out of the!" She makes them litter. The, I guess the one thing I get out of these first, like, six pages is that she really loves New York, right? Because she's like, across Canal Street, hey, egg rolls for $2. Oh, there's some artsy-gartsy stuff. I'll take an egg roll any day. Oh, Washington Square Park, I love you. We get a shot of the Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. And that's when she makes it to, it's it's time to take a bite out of the Big Apple. Let's see now. We go over the government district. Hmm. I'd better get this construction stuff finished. Oh, she's talking about just general New York construction. Oh, my gosh. And she eventually makes it to the Nighthawk, which is this diner that she's meeting three people at. And I guess she calls them insomnia, fellow insomniacs. Yeah, and then they just kind of chat for the rest of the issue. And, and it cuts, like... You get the you get the uh, idea without actually getting really experiencing any of their conversation that they're, you know, they're just talking about some really deep stuff and probably none of it's really terribly important. They're just a bunch of people that like each other and they jump back and forth and I don't know. Yeah, I thought it would, I thought it would make a good a good short film. Oh, especially it's... if we didn't know who Dazzler was, we just knew that there was like this random person who has these strange superpowers meeting up with these other people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I agree with this and I understand. I just, I guess I didn't find the dialogue particularly interesting. I Um, didn't either, but, um, until the characters to be interesting until we get to, I thought they were all pretty well fleshed out. Yeah. Well, yeah, they all, they're they're all cliches, but you know, that works. They all definitely have their different personalities. Uh, it's very dialogue heavy until you get to 4.05 a.m., which totally makes sense. There's a bunch of coffee on the table. Everybody's kind of yawning. They're slurping up their coffee. The diner's empty. A little bit more stretching, and that's when Dazzler... Maybe it's Dazzler. I don't know who it is. It's somebody. Yeah, it's Dazzler. Well, what about that Reagan? And keep in mind that it's definitely the 80s. And so then we switch over to 5.12 a.m., so over an hour later, they're still talking about... Reagan. So I like that piece. Not that I'm making any commentary about Reagan or not, but it's very 80s. It's very like, this is probably what would happen in a diner at four in the morning. Everybody's like, maybe we should go. Maybe it's time. I'm really tired. And then somebody brings up that buzzword and is like, oh yeah. And then another hour's worth of dialogue ensues. So I like that chunk. 
Yeah, I feel I feel that way about the whole thing. It's just kind of like random conversation that if you're in the conversation, it's very interesting. If you're reading it, it's generally not that interesting. Yeah. And that's what I like about it. What's it's it? pretty it's pretty true to form. Of course, if you're Quentin Tarantino, you can write this stuff and it's interesting just to listen to. Right. But not everybody is Quentin Tarantino. I think and that's maybe well, coffee and cigarettes too. Who I don't remember who wrote that, but that was that was all um, uh, meaningless chat. But as you were listening to the conversations and watching the cinematography and stuff, you're like, you kind of got drawn in. Well, you either did get drawn into it or you hated it. <laughs> so maybe that's the same with this here. Maybe this dialogue just I doesn't work for that me. Movie. I, I, I should go see it. It's it's this. It's literally this, but with m- more famous people. But they're not even talking about like famous. They're really talking about nothing drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. Or you could equate this to Kevin Smith's scene, but there's not quite as much swearing. (laughs) (laughs) Or comedy. Or comedy, yeah. And so they talk till, I guess it's about 6.25 in the morning, and I think everybody's like talking like, oh, you should become an Avenger, you're a mutant. Everybody apparently knows she's a mutant, and she's okay with that. And that's when she proclaims that she chooses never to be a superhero. Believe it! See you next Friday. Yep. And she skates away. And that's it. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, I guess it could be the alternative. It could just be one of these horrible stories that we've read in the last few weeks that try to add to uh, the lore of the actual story. And I guess this kind of does as well, because what it's it's setting up the irony that Dazzler will never become a superhero. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I think these, these kind of stories that aren't, like they just don't really I don't know. It I'm not sure what I'm trying to say. I guess I just thought it was not attempting to do something so convoluted that I liked it. Right. This isn't a story that took place between two panels. This is a story that legitimately could have happened. Yeah. And there's nothing in there that you, you, you that that makes you say, "Wait a minute, that couldn't have happened." Or you know what makes me say the story could never happen? That type of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. That's 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 that. Adam, you do any uh, reading this week? Boy, did I ever. Oh, um, boy. <laughs> I'm not going to go as long as last time because, <laughs> boy, I uh, that was like three issues and it, it felt like it took forever. But uh, I did do uh, Avengers 188 where the Avengers drop Quicksilver off and it turns out that Crystal is pregnant and we learn that as the Avengers are flying back over Russia that Beast knows Russian, which I, I didn't know that. I don't think I knew that either. They decide to help the Russians out after Beast makes an argument saying, there's no American before Avengers in our name. <laughs> uh, Falcon is still referring to himself as a token and the Avengers battle and defeat of monsters in the guise of uh, chemical elements. Uh, Avengers Annual number nine, uh, Beast gets taken out by a monster called Arsenal with one punch, thereby being useless. Um, Arsenal is controlled by a computer that Tony Stark's dad, Howard Stark, programmed during World War II to look like Tony Stark's mom. Kind of interesting. Kind of creepy. It's like a, uh, it's like a, uh, a sleep. It was like a sleeper device. Arsenal was a sleeper device in case the Nazis won. Huh. 
Uh, Avengers 189. Um, I don't. I don't think a whole lot happens in this one. Um, Beast likes to hear that Wonder Man has a lady friend. He's excited about that. <laughs> That's probably pretty much all that happened. <laughs> wow. Um, it's a Hawkeye solo adventure, so there's not a whole lot to say. Uh, there was a letter at the back of it uh, about someone who was kind of complaining about the way that Beast had been portrayed. And if you remember a couple episodes ago, I said that Beast couldn't swim. Mm-hmm. Well, this letter points out, well, in Amazing Adventures 18 and Avengers 153, although the water did slow him down because of his fur, he did swim. Oh, yeah. I remembered. I do, too. So uh, Avengers 190 and 191, uh, the Avengers are on trial uh, because they they finally had their final battle uh, or disagreement with um, uh, what's the dude's name? Uh, Henry, Henry Peter Gyrick. P- Henry Peter Gyrick. So they're on trial, and of course, Jerwin Hogarth from Heroes for Hire and Matt Murdock are their lawyers because that's how it goes. Yeah. Meanwhile, a stone creature from space has crash landed into uh, the the Jersey Pike or something, and is heading towards Manhattan. And during the middle of the trial, the Avengers have to go battle it, of course. To, and so they win this uh, section of the trial. And at some point, Beast says, "You know what? You're right, uh, Henry Peter Gyrich. Here, uh, why don't you take this?" Uh, he pulls a table leg off a table and says, here, why don't you go defend against this giant stone monster? You're right. You don't need the adventures. And Henry Peter Gyrich is like, all right, I guess you're right. Nice. So, uh, Iron Man and Daredevil get turned to stone um, after the gray gargoyle emerges from the stone monster. And at the end of it all, after defeating the gray gargoyle, the Avengers get their priority status back. Nice. And that's all. Wow. That was a very quick summary, Adam. There wasn't a whole lot. I mean, it wasn't like a big, it wasn't a whole lot of stuff important that happened. Just kind of notes here and there, which is the way I prefer it. Absolutely. All right, then. Well, anything else you want to add? No. um, Stay toasty, Frost fans. Until next week or next time, the Danger Room is closed. (laughs) 